Hey, evening. How's everybody? I'm good. Hey, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20. We're going to end our, what do you want to call it? Our three-part deal on uh, the potter's parables. Remember, Jeremiah 18, the pottery is soft and able to repent. In Jeremiah 19, the pottery is brittle and God tells Jeremiah to break it. It's time for judgment, the time for repentance has passed. Jeremiah 20 is how does the world respond to God's message, especially in light of what does the world do when it rejects God's message to God's people. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. That's kind of going to be where we want to focus. And here's the reality, Jeremiah chapter 20. Some really exciting things about it. Jeremiah 20 is the chapter where Jeremiah wants to quit. Anybody ever feel like quitting? Okay. So Jeremiah 20 is where Jeremiah is like, that's it. I'm done. I quit. Too much of whatever. And it is also the last time Jeremiah complains or quits. The rest of the book, he's settled. So sometimes, you know, when we work in ministry and we're working our way through stuff, you know, the, the things uh, of life, there's a variety of times I want to quit. Or I, I won't lie to you. I don't even know how many years ago it was now, but I called my brother in Arizona and said, you got a job? Because I'm, I'm ready to quit. Just honest. People feel that way sometimes, right? That's it. I'm done. I've had drama to my earlobes. I'll go back and just paint uh, airports. So I used to do that. So my brother works at the airport. I thought, hey, I could work that out. Uh, However, just like Jeremiah, when what Jeremiah is faced with and what I was faced with in that moment is that our walk with the Lord is about our calling, not about our comfort. So the first, the first thing you have to wrestle through is that idea, right? You get what I'm saying? It's, not, it's about what I'm called to do, and not, not always what we're called to do is comfortable. Sometimes what we're called to do is have to deal with stuff. That's just how life works, right? I mean, I've never been able to ex- escape stuff. Our, our, uh, our memories erase it. You know what I mean? You know how when you look back and you think, oh, remember the good old days? But we don't remember the bad parts of the good old days. We just remember the good parts of the good old days. You with me? So, so we, have that, we have that uneven reality that is in our minds that we focus on. So Jeremiah has to answer that question. I had to answer that question too. Uh, it's about my calling, not about my comfort. And then finally, it's not... It's about my calling, not about my comfort, um, and there will be a cost. So you're called, not necessarily to be comfortable, and it will cost you something. Now sometimes, somewhere in, uh, in our minds, sometimes as believers, we think walking with Jesus means that there's no cost, and that's not true. The world, in our world today, the world is rejecting the message of God. 
They've already shown you by establishing the idea that, that the, only, the only event in the, in the quarantine, the only event that is protected by the Constitution that is non-essential is uh, the church. You don't have a right to your business. You don't have a right to a lot of other things, but you do have the right to assemble and to worship, guaranteed in the Constitution. But you look across our nation, and, and probably across the world, I can't speak for other places, and in Idaho, certainly we have less of it. We're actually together. Other places still aren't together, right? Other places still can't, can't gather. But it is something guaranteed in the Constitution, which I swore to defend against all enemies, foreign and what was the last word? That's crazy, huh? So what it indicates is that the, our world's opinion of what we would deem as essential is low. Now that means there's going to be a cost, right? It's, it's, it's going to cost some people more than others, isn't it? I mean, I, I shared a thing on Facebook. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. I shared a thing on Facebook from, from Pastor Ken Graves out in Maine. And uh, they, they're not allowed to meet. He, is, he made an announcement, I am going to be civilly disobedient. We're meeting now. Several pastors in California have done the same thing. Again, that's another area where they're still not able to gather. Like, we have the, the freedom to do. So I'm thankful for the state we're in. Sure, there's things that aren't perfect, right? As far as I know, there's not a perfect place anywhere because there's people in them. So, but what we need to understand is following Jesus, being obedient to him, right? Being obedient to what God wants. When we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what was the point of the church gathered? The point of the church gathered was to uh, hear the apostles' teaching, to gather for fellowship and the breaking of bread, to be united and edified by the gifts God gave the church for the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry. This is, this is how this is supposed to go. That's our mandate, right? And in our world, there certainly is a sense in which that is deemed by those in authority as non-essential. Now, that's in opposition to what God's Word says, right? I'm nobody's saying... Thou shalt gather and listen to me teach if you are at risk. But how did we used to do life? In flu season, what did you do if you got sick? You stay home. How hard is that? If you don't want to get the flu, be careful who you're hanging around with, right? Wash your hands. Not a bad idea. If you think wearing a mask is going to help, wear a mask. Whatever, right? So the, the idea, the point I guess as we look at Jeremiah 20 is understanding that there's a cost to following Jesus. And Jesus never one time lied to us. Did he? He said, if you're going to follow me, you remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler said, what do I got to do to please God? And Jesus said, well, do the things that the word commands. Right? Obey the law. And what did the rich young ruler say? I've done all these things from my youth. What do I yet lack? You remember? And then Jesus told him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. 
Now, was there a price involved in following the Lord? When Jesus said that we're to take up our cross and follow him, does that indicate a price? We, we take the religious metaphor of the cross and it, it no longer means what it means then, right? The idea of the cross was the impl- implement of your execution. Take the implement of your execution, carry it with you, come and follow me. Because I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Okay, so we, we're familiar with the things that the scripture describes. So <clears throat> the idea for Jeremiah, he's going to wrestle with his calling. He's going to come to the realization that it's not about his comfort. That's why there's only one Jeremiah 20. For the rest of the book, Jeremiah has that settled. He settles it in this, in this chapter, what we're going to look at in this chapter. And then he understands there's a cost, there's a price involved when we follow the Lord, when we uh, go after him. And the price is not equal. It's going to cost some of us more and others less. It's always been that way, right? But we understand that there is a cost involved. So we want to consider that. And I, for, for one, just love the fact that now it, it, after this chapter, that's settled for Jeremiah. He never does this again. We have you know, several chapters we're going to go through, but he never does this again. He never comes to the point of quitting again. Now, did Paul ever want to quit? Absolutely did. Scripture tells us in the book of Acts that the Lord sent his spirit to encourage him. Because why? He was discouraged. Like having a jail ministry forever will do for you, right? Most people want to be free. But Paul didn't have that. Now, Timothy, he was free. Was it equal? Why did Paul have to go to jail and Timothy didn't? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's about the calling, not about our comfort. When God called Paul, you know what he said to him? He said, I must show him all the things he needs to suffer for my name's sake. God didn't lie to him. He said, hey, Paul, I want you to come follow me, but here's what it means. There's going to be a cost. And Paul, I think, settled that in his mind, and he went. What about Elijah? Did Elijah ever want to quit? Yeah, we've, we've read about that before, right? He has this great victory over the priests of Baal, runs into Jezebel. You guys with me? Jezebel says, I don't care what you think you proved about God. I want you to know that this time tomorrow I'm going to kill you. So Elijah turned around and ran as fast as he could, as long as he could, out in the middle of the desert to a cave where he said, I quit. You think Job ever felt like quitting? All the, we work our way through the heroes of the Bible and there's this theme, there's this crossroad in our walk with the Lord that we'll come to where we're going to settle the question. And, it, and I, I think it's vital to settle the question because then you don't have to go back to that place again. You just go, no, I, there is no going backwards. There's only going forward. That's why Paul would write, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but one thing I do, I press on. I keep moving forward. And we all have plans the way we think things are going to go, and then we have the reality. And this is what Jeremiah is going to wrestle with tonight. So we look at verse 1. It says, Now Pashur the priest, the son of Emer, 
<clears throat> who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. So he heard 18 and 19. Go to the potter's house. Remember in chapter 19, God said to Jeremiah, gather the elders of the priests. You remember? Gather these people and tell them, judgment day has come. Throw that pottery on the ground, break it, and say, this, thus says the Lord. This is what he's going to do. God's going to break this nation. So Pashur the priest is there. He heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Now we know about Pashur. Pashur uh, may have been the father of Gedaliah. We're going to hear about him in chapter 38. In Jeremiah 38.1 it says, Now uh, Sephtiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, uh, the son of Melchiah, heard the words of Jeremiah that he was saying to the people. So this is a character that's going to come up uh, again as we study, as we continue to study. His office, he's the chief officer in the temple. So the chief officer in the temple is like the second priest. You had the high priest, and then you had the second priest. Or we might think about it like president and vice president, right? The the head guy and then the you know president and sergeant of arms. This is a guy who's the face and this is a guy who takes care of making things are square. So his role was to preserve order in the temple. Now you remember in chapter 19, Jeremiah did the prophecy for the priests and the ones who he brought out. And then where'd he go next? He went to the temple where all the people were, right? And he declared in the temple, God's judgment is coming. So the guy who's in charge of keeping peace in the area of the temple is looking around and going, hey, you're violating our, our peaceful uh, gathering here. And I don't like your message. So in Facebook, we'll just take your message off. Uh, Pashur is going to do something a little more rigid. And so this was his role. This is what he did to preserve order in the temple. So he's going to see Jeremiah as a troublemaker. He's going to see Jeremiah's message as not part of the narrative. Think about the narrative in the time of Jeremiah. God's going to deliver us. We're going to get through this. We're going to have victory over the Babylonians, just like we had victory over the Assyrians 100 years ago. And Jeremiah, God's prophet, his message to the people was, you're not going to have victory. Don't fight. If you fight, you're going to die. Lay down your arms. Accept God's judgment. So we don't like that narrative. We're going to take it off. We don't like the message, you know, we're, it's not going to be available for people to see. So this is what's going on in the time of Jeremiah. So it says in verse 2, Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So he beat him. So I, that sounds kind of easy. But let's understand what beating was in those days. According to the law... In Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, it says, Forty stripes may be given him, but no more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. So when punishment was brought, when the authorities brought a beating, it didn't mean they punched him in the mouth, they whooped him a little bit and put him in stocks. No, they are going to put him in stocks, and he is going to receive in front of all the people on the Temple Mount at the Bethlehem gate, 40 stripes. Well, you, that's kind of degrading anyway, isn't it? You're the prophet of God. You're delivering the word God gave you to tell the people. 
You're being faithful to what God asked you to do. And the response is, I received 40 lashes publicly at the Bethlehem gate. Which probably included being stripped. That's a little embarrassing, no? Locked up in the stocks, so there's nothing you can do. People can come by and jeer you, throw tomatoes at you, whatever, right? This is a public... um, a, a public beating that's taking place in his life, and he's locked in the stocks for a day. So, you think you might wrestle with your own thoughts about life choices, <laughs> decisions about what you're doing? So it says, the next day when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, so Jeremiah is going to prophesy over Pashur. He is beaten, he is defaced, he's going to change Pashur's name. So he said, the Lord does not call your name Pashur, he calls you terror on every side. Magor Misabib. God has changed your name. Now God did this when people uh, cross great thresholds in their life. Abram becomes Abraham because he believed God. Sarai becomes Sarah because she trusted God. There are other times where people rejected God and God said, I'm going to change your name. This name now is going to mark who you are. So it's, a, it's a, the concept of God's judgment, right, coming through the prophecy. And Jeremiah is going to explain to him what that means. The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. And that is not the meaning that you are a terror to me. That's not what he means. He means you are going to be surrounded by terror. You have uh, you know, degraded me publicly. I've become a public spectacle. Paul talks about that, right? That we are all the off-scouring, a public spectacle to the world. So he's saying, you, you made me a public spectacle, but God is saying, you're going to be surrounded by terror. Verse 4, he explains it. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. So he says there, you're going to be surrounded by terror because you're going to watch all your friends die. Why are all his friends going to die? Because you won't hear the word of the Lord. What's the word of the Lord? Lay down your sword. Lay it down. God said, you, you've lost. Time for fighting is over. Surrender and live, fight and die. Remember, we always have a choice laid out before us in Scripture, right? The path of life and the path of death. Sometimes the path of life is not to just load up your guns and make your final stand. Sometimes loading up your guns and making your final stand is the path of death. The point is to be obedient to what God says. Remember, it's about your calling, not your comfort. So... He's saying to him, your friends are going to die and they're going to be looking at you because you're telling them if we fight, we're going to win. God's going to deliver us. That's not the message from God. You're giving a message from yourself, not the message from the Lord. So this is part of God's judgment. Also, you're going to see the destruction of Judah. Judah's going to fall. That's not new. That's something that Jeremiah has been prophesying since chapter 1. 
Judah's going to fall. The time of judgment has come. We are under judgment. That judgment is going to take place. You're going to watch what you think can't happen, happen. Verse 5, he says, Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. All the things that people trusted in, they're not going to save you. If our trust is in the almighty dollar, I want you to know the dollar is not going to save you. If our trust is in our economic system, our economic system will not save us. There's only one Savior. The Bible declares it over and over again. Yahweh is the only Savior there is. He's it. So everything else is a tool, and the tool will not save. It's the one, the giver of the gift, who is able to save, right? So he says, I'm going to give all your treasures. All these things that you're trusting in, I'm going to give them away. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken in Jeremiah's time. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Anybody feel like anything's been shaken around here? Does it look like our world is... I mean, I'm old. There's a couple, there's probably two guys older than me here. Three guys, maybe. I'm old. I don't remember nothing like this. Ever. And it came fast. Like, we were joking about COVID, and then it wasn't funny anymore. Right? We're joking about coronavirus and all these memes, and the next thing you know... I'm locked in my living room. Like, this is weird. This is weird. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And this is what God was speaking to his prophet, to Judah. Uh, Verse 6, And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house will go into captivity. So you're going to be a slave. To Babylon you shall go, and there you will die, and you will be buried, you and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied falsely. Now, this is not meaning you're going to go to Babylon and they're going to strike you down. The captivity in Babylon is going to be 70 years. So, Pastor, you've been, you've been prophesying this, that what I'm saying is not true, that God's not, we're not under judgment, that God's not going to take us into exile. You've been saying that's not true. So you're going to live out your life in slavery knowing that whole time that you were prophesying falsely. And you're going to die in a foreign land. You're not going to die at home. You and all the people that you led astray. All the people who were following you. There is probably no more solemn statement for someone to make than thus saith the Lord. That's a big deal. Sometimes in a church we do it too flippantly right well i think god's telling me you better know what god's telling you especially if you're speaking it for someone else right so he says hey you're gonna all these things you've said the road you've chosen to walk on is the path to death and it's not going to come quick you're not going to nobody's going to lop off your head you're going to watch all this stuff happen and you're going to die an old man in a foreign city You're going to perish and all the people in your house and you're going to be buried there. 
Second <clears throat> Peter 2.1 says this, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Second Timothy said, The time will come when people will not hold to sound doctrine, but their ears will itch for a message they approve of. Right? This message has been approved by. The point is, God's word is the final arbiter, and we need to be... Uh, Students willing to submit to it and know. Well, Paul said the Bereans were more noble than all, right? They were more noble than the, than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received the word of God with all joy, and then they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Right? We want to know. We want to know that we know that we know so that we can hold fast to the calling that God is laying upon us. So... This is what Jeremiah's leaving. He's putting, he's putting his robe back on. He's embarrassed. He's beaten. He's sore. 40 stripes. I've never had 40 stripes before. I've been beat up before, uh, but I don't even think I took 40 stripes in that. So I don't know what that's like, but he took his 40 stripes. He gave the word that God had spoke to him about Pashur, uh, explaining the judgment that was going to fall. Because it's a important, uh, it's not a little thing to touch the Lord's anointed, right? But who who does vengeance belong to? It's not mine, right? The Lord says, tells me to submit to Him and allow Him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will what? I will repay. So we lay those things in in God's hands. Now we enter in verse seven. Now Jeremiah, Jeremiah delivered the message to Pasher, and now he has a message to deliver to God. You ever had one of those? Lord, look, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't approve. <laughs> right? Look at verse 7. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. God, you lied to me. Man, I know I've felt that way, but it wasn't God who lied to me. It was me who lied to me because I didn't believe what God said. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, Jeremiah said, Do not be afraid of them, the people who will come against you, for I am with you to deliver you. I'm going to get you through this. In verse 19 of Jeremiah 1, They will fight against you, but they will not prevail, for I am with you, declares the Lord. God says, you he didn't say, Jeremiah, I'm calling you as a prophet and life is going to be easy. He said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you as a prophet and the people are going to oppose you. They're not going to like the message. They're going to fight against you, but I will deliver you. And I've talked about this before. When we hear God say, I will deliver you, we think that means God's not going to let us feel pain. So all you have to do to know that's not true is to pay attention to the Son of God. All you have to do to know that's not true is watch every one of God's prophets and kings and the people who followed the Lord. Was there pain in their life? Yes. Did God say he would deliver them? Yes. Where did he deliver them? Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Where does God deliver us? He delivers us to himself. 
you're going to serve here and you're going to prevail against the people and I'm going to get you home. Didn't say, I'm not going to let you get hurt. He said, I'm going to get you home. I'm going to get you home. You will enter into the heavenly kingdom. So he's saying, I feel deceived. He says, you are stronger than I and you have prevailed. And I have become a laughing stock every day. Now, what do you think really hurt him? Do you think it was the 40 stripes? Man, anybody like to be the laughing stock? The joke? The butt of everyone's joke? Anybody like that? Anybody, can anybody imagine being chained at, at the corner of a busy intersection and everybody who walked by mocking you for a day? Jeremiah's like, I have become a laughing stock all day. Everyone mocks me. I'm a joke. I'm a byword. Oh, here comes a prophet. He never says nothing good, right? Jeremiah saying, everyone mocks me for whenever I speak, I cry out and I shout. He's saying, I have a... I don't know if that's okay to say in church. I think it'll be all right. He, said, he says, every day I cry out. He's saying, I have a crappy message. My message is violence and destruction. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear it. In fact, people still today in the church say, I don't like really studying the Old Testament. It's full of judgment. Yeah, I'm sorry you don't like it. That is definitely part of the character of God. He will judge sin. <laughs> that, is, that is a part of who he is. You don't get to cut that part out. That's probably one of my... Uh, biggest, I don't know if it's really an argument, one of my biggest, I'm going to say argument, but there's a better word. You guys will think of it. That's one of my bigger arguments with my wife because we have an argument all the time. I, I have a tendency of being sarcastic. I know none of you guys have that. And sometimes I think something's going to be funny, but it wasn't. It was to me, but it wasn't funny to her. And so she'll tell me, I'm rude. Uh, you're so rude. Why are you so rude? And usually I'll say, well, that was part of me when we got married. That, that's not a new thing. I did not just develop this overnight. And I'm not trying to justify it and say I shouldn't try not to be rude. I, in fact, will spend the rest of my life attempting to overcome that character flaw, right? But, but my point is that is also part of me. You can't, you can't, cut that out. That's probably one of the biggest struggles in marriages, right? People get married and they love one another for the things that draw them together, which are usually the things that are different in your spouse than are in you. And then you spend the rest of the time trying to turn them into you. <laughs> uh, that's, that, those are the things we argue over. But the reality is when we, what we need to do and what we want, what, what I want as a person from my, my spouse, what I want from my wife is to know that she loves me in spite of all that. I, lo I love all of you. I, I don't always like your rudeness, but, but I love your characteristics. When we come to the Lord, it, should it be different? You think, you think we shouldn't love the, the wrath of God? Oh, I, I love your grace, God, but I don't love your wrath? Are you just going to cut that part out of, of God? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out your judgment? Is God righteous and true? Yeah, then his wrath is good, not bad. It's not, it's not something to flee. It's a part of who God is. 
But here Jeremiah is like, man, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat a worm, right? So he's saying, I feel deceived. I feel like you lied to me, but we know God didn't lie. He told him it was going to be hard. And he's saying, I feel like everybody hates me. I, I, everybody hates me. And, and I don't like the part everybody hates me. I, if I'm honest, I don't like that part either. I don't like it. I wish I could tell people who are rotten in sin, do whatever you want. I live however you want, do whatever you want. But then I'm being, uh, I'm, I'm, I am being a deceiver. I'm not telling the truth about what God says. God asked me to speak the truth in love, doesn't he? Sometimes that means everybody's going to think my message is always bad. No, it's always bad. You're just telling me what I can't do. Well, that's not what I want to do. But it's what I'm compelled to do because that's what God's word says. I, I feel hated. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you guys know what's coming next, right? Love your enemies. Now, I know we all pray imprecatory prayers against the politicians we don't like. Right? Lord, bust their teeth. Get them out of office. You know, slaughter them in the valley of judgment, whatever. But here Jesus is saying, I want you to Love your enemies and pray for them. Praying that God might open their eyes. Praying that they might come to know the truth. We get, we're all good, just like Judah. Judah was good at shaking their saber and looking at the enemy across the wall and saying, I'll fight till my dying breath. And we all can sound just like that. I got that in me too. But then Jesus says, I want you to... I want you to love your enemy and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Listen to what he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He says, I want you to take on characteristics of God. Now, a lot of people look at the Old Testament and they'd say, this is not a characteristic of God. And I would say it absolutely is a characteristic of God on every page of the Old Testament. Because the long-suffering of the Father as he withholds judgment for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is that very thing. Loving your enemy. Praying for those who persecute you. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do that? Basically, he's saying, everybody does that. What, what's so good about that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do that? Here's the rub. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Look, folks, there's only one thing that makes us perfect, and it's not going to be your performance ever. It doesn't mean that's not what we strive for but that's not it's not going to be your performance what makes you perfect the blood of jesus christ i am a just man made perfect that's what the word declares by the blood of jesus christ i am a just man made perfect 
because I am acknowledging I need you, Jesus, to make me acceptable. And then I need you, Jesus, to give me what I need to follow you because I don't have that naturally. And I need you, Jesus, to have what I need to pray for my enemies, right? I need you. I need your power. I need your spirit. I need your blood every day of my life to endure the things that come before us. Listen to what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I also to be loved less? You guys should know a little bit about that translation. If you have a King James, what's it say? It says, if I, um, if I love you more, Am I to be hated? Because sometimes the more you get spent for others, the more you get spent for others. Right? And the more you try to love them and do loving things for them, the more you are hated in response. And here's Jeremiah saying, I feel hated. Everybody hates me. I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm trying to deliver the truth. I'm trying to deliver what God's word really says, but, but I'm being hated. He goes on in verse 10 of Jeremiah 20. He says, For I hear many whispering. Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say, all my close friends. All my friends are saying, you're so dumb, Jeremiah. Why do you keep doing this, Jeremiah? Why are you out there talking like this, Jeremiah? Why don't you just quit? Job had an experience like that, you remember? Someone very close to him once said to him, you remember? Jeremiah, why don't you curse God to his face and die? You remember who that was? Yeah, his wife. He's saying, all my close friends are watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. I don't like him. I, uh, people hate me. They ridicule me. They, they want to take revenge out on me. They want to silence me. Anybody feel that way? Does the world want to silence the message that you have? Now here's, here's part of my rub. I hope that the world wants to silence you for the message of Jesus Christ. I don't got no time for all the other messages. You know, hey, I, I, just like probably every American think that I have God-given rights, but I want to point people to Jesus. Constitution won't save you. Uh, that's not. They're, they got that all wrinkled up, and maybe one day somebody will find it in the corner of the Oval Office somewhere and read it again. But, but people need Jesus, right? I, I want to I be hated for the message I have of Christ. And that message is calling people in a time of judgment to repent and believe. Repent and believe. You need to get right with the Lord. Our world is sideways. God said in the Old Testament, if you don't have rain, if pestilence comes, if wars and rumors of wars and famine and all this stuff come, what did it all mean? That was all God saying, this is the precursor it's not judgment. It's the precursor to judgment. You want to know what the, the final judgment looks like? Read Revelation 6 through 19. And by the way, for anybody who thinks you're in a tribulation, you are not even close. Last I seen, there's no flying scorpion stinging me where I hope to die and can't die. That's not happening. No, God's judgment is 
is worse. All these are, the Bible calls them, what? Labor pains, right? Labor pains. They, the things get worse and worse and worse. And when we read the book of Revelation, what's the purpose? So that the people of God, because the, the unbeliever's not going to do it, so that the people of God will fall to their knees and repent and cry out for him. That's our response. That's our job. Jeremiah saying, everybody hates my message. Nobody wants to listen to it. This is so dumb. He says in verse, uh, he says in verse um, 14, 2014, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed is the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. What's he saying? I wish I had never been born. I hate my life. That's, that's a lot of despair. And probably, if we're honest, there's times we felt that way. Certainly, we know Job felt that way, right? Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, the night in which, a, which they said a man has been conceived. Let that, be, let, that, the day, the day. let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor shine light on it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. You know, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd never been born. Why am I so cursed? My life is so horrible. This is where Jeremiah really is. One of the things I love, guys, about the Word of God is it don't lie to you. It tells you the truth of what's going on in people's life. Jeremiah was a great prophet. He delivered great, a great word in a very difficult time. And he felt like that, just like we do sometimes. And he's saying, man, I, I wish I'd never been born. Let that man, he says, Jeremiah twenty sixteen. Be like the cities the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry, a mourning, and an alarm at noon. I'm sorry anybody ever announced that I was born. Ultimately, he's saying, I am a wreck. Let him, the man who announced my birth, let him be cursed, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave, her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame. Man, wish I had never been born. Wish I had died. This is Jeremiah's heart cry to God after this thing he suffered. Now there's going to be worse things he goes through. But I said he's not ever going to do this again. This is our, this is our one chance to look at the heart of Jeremiah as he was struggling. He's saying, I'm confused about all the things I see around me. Why did I come out of the womb just to see toil and sorrow? The writer of Ecclesiastes, he, this is what he wrote. Listen, in Ecclesiastes 4.1, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. People, that's just real. That's just the real. This is really what is going on. And Jeremiah, as he 
as he comes here at the end of the chapter, I bet you were hoping for something that would say, and then Jeremiah was okay. I'll tell you the part that says Jeremiah was okay. There's not another chapter 20 in the book. And there's a whole lot more chapter to go. Listen to what God promised him. Okay, listen. I hope this, I hope this will, will give you hope. God promised Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.18, when God first called him, when God told him it was going to be hard, when God said that things were going to be difficult and, and God was going to carry him through it all, he said, and I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar with bronze walls against the whole land. God said to Jeremiah, I'm going to make you able to stand. So Jeremiah cries out in his heart to the Lord. And it was in that furnace of affliction, God made him an iron pillar. God made him a bronze wall. He didn't make him fall. He didn't make him stumble. Remember, God promised in in the beginning, I'm going to make you, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to get you through it all. The, the psalmist writes in the 23rd Psalm, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because everything's going to be easy? What does he say? I will fear no evil for you are with me. What did God promise? I will never leave you or forsake you. If you're wrapped in the stocks, the Lord is right in the stocks with you. And when a believer comes to this place where he recognizes his call is not about his comfort and that there will be a cost involved in it, then you have what you have in Philippi. When Paul gets arrested and beaten and thrown in stocks, dropped down into the bottom dark, darkest pit of the dungeon, you remember the story? They began to sing praises. The Bible says there was an earthquake. And every door in the prison opened. And not one prisoner left. I just want you to think for a moment about how is that possible. How is it possible if, you, if, if an earthquake happened in whatever pen... You know, out cottonwood or whatever. I've never been there, so I don't know what it's like. But let's say every door opens, and the way is paved for everyone to leave. When a believer has come face to face with his call, when a believer has come face to face with the hardship of walking with Christ and has made the decision that I'm yours, God, I'm yours, I'm all yours, then when he faces the 40 stripes, just like Jeremiah did here, only that case is Paul. And he faces the, the mockery of being in stocks. And he faces being dumped into a prison. Even though by right as a Roman citizen that was illegal. But because he is so surrendered to his Savior. Nobody left. Because when they have the choice, remember I told you, Bible's full of two roads. When they have the choice of absolute freedom, or what those guys got down there, 
they went down there. And the Bible says on that day, repentance swept through that prison. The jailer got saved. The prisoners got saved. The church was founded in Philippi, which was a church that faced persecution its whole life. But endured. Because people had their Jeremiah moment. Jeremiah's in this place and he's saying, I'm not going to talk about the word of the Lord no more. But it was fire in his soul. I can't shut it off. My calling is greater than my comfort. And after Jeremiah 20, after he has his meltdown, he lifts his eyes to heaven and says, I'll pay. I know that because there's a chapter 21 where Jeremiah continues prophesying. And a 22. And a 30. And a 38. (laughs) We got a long ways to go still. Jeremiah continued on, and he'll never have another moment like this. So when I, one of the things I try to encourage people with, when we come into those dark times, and all of us are going to go through them, whether it's because of illness or loss or, you know, this world's crazy, so anything can happen any moment. When we come to that moment, that crossroad is an opportunity for us to recognize, okay, At the least, Jesus Christ is calling me to follow him. And that calling is greater than my comfort. So it's not about being comfortable. It's about being obedient, right? And Jesus said, when you follow me, you must take up your cross daily. He said, die to yourself. Come and follow me. When we come to those times and we say, I'll pay. When we do that, it is similar to the gotchmone moment. When Jesus wept on a rock and sweat great drops of blood through his skin. And he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me. The cup of bearing God's wrath. If there's any way that this cup can pass from me, you know, I'm open. Is there a plan B? And then he said, I'll pay it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm following you. I'm going to be obedient to you, Dad. And then Jesus looks to us and says, will you do the same? We don't have to cut the trail. The trail's already been cut. We just have to say, I'll follow you. Jeremiah did. It's my prayer that each of us, when we come to that point, will do the same. I'll follow you. Maybe it doesn't look like you thought. I thought it was going to be like this. (laughs) Sorry. One thing I can tell you for sure is things change. But God's good. And I am a testimony of his goodness. And so are you. So we have need of endurance. Endure to persevere. Trust him. Pay the price. And don't look back. You know what's back there. 
It don't take you anywhere you want to go. Where you want to go is put your eyes on the prize and move forward. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the time that we can study your word so that we can look at scripture, God, so that we can maybe just come face to face with our own disappointments and the things we thought would be different in our life. And Lord, each of us are called to walk a road of life, but none of the roads look the same. They all come to you. And I know, Lord, that you're working in all of our lives. There are things that people are going through, and I'm not trying to say what you're going through is not as hard as what somebody else is going through. It is what it is for you. But when we're in that place, let's learn from Jeremiah. If God wants to make us a strong tower, able to stand, a bronze wall that won't bend, that will stand for what God says is truth, that will stand on the, the authority of what God has said and will not be moved. No matter whether the crowds applaud us or shout crucify. God, may we, as he and Paul and Elijah and the great heroes of old all came to realize, may we like them follow you, set our face like flint and say, I am your man, Lord. Do with me as you see fit and may we be his hands, his feet. May we carry the characteristics and attitudes of our Lord, of our great God and Savior and may we be an example for others to emulate. As we follow you, Lord, may you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen.